8th chapter of Romans again, Romans chapter number 8. We are going to continue in our series and our study of the book of Romans. Uh, I could find uh, no greater uh, Christmas message to deliver you. There would be nothing other subject I could bring other than to remind you of, again, of the saving acts of God. And the saving acts of God, this is part number five of six of these saving acts. This morning, we're going to look at one verse, and we're going to look at a verse dealing with what we already have dealt with in our scripture reading this morning. And Paul is asking again a question, and he is giving the answer in that same verse. In verse 34 of Romans 8, Paul asks this question, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Today, we think, whether we want to think about it or not, the world even thinks about it, the birth of Christ. They're thinking about the birth. But I would tell you that the birth of Christ is non-consequential unless it is paired with the death and the burial and the resurrection. Because the, the birth of Christ is indeed the first step in fulfilling the plan of God that was before the foundation of the world. When we think about condemnation and we think about why Jesus Christ came, Paul very clearly gives us the answer why he came in that verse. He came to die. The songs we sang this morning, they, one of them mentioned exalting the Savior's birth. The phrase, he came to die. Now, for many of us, we understand, especially those that are parents and grandparents, there is nothing that compares to the birth of a child. There really isn't. There is, uh, there is just nothing that can compare it to. And we think about, here is this life that is beginning, and here is this, this, this individual now, and, and once you get beyond the responsibility, when they send you home and say, now this child is completely yours. I remember when they told us that with Kristen, our first. I remember them telling us that, and I remember saying, can we stay here just a little bit longer? Because this is a lot easier in the hospital than what it's going to be out there. No, you've got to go on your way. It is a glorious thing to consider the birth. It's a glorious thing to consider the birth of Christ today. And do not apologize for celebrating the birth of Christ. It is a marvelous thing because had he not been born, you and I would be under condemnation today. My belief is, is you find every reason in the world to praise God and praise him for it. Lift his name up. When are we ever going to be ridiculed for lifting the name of Christ up. We should never be ridiculed for lifting the name of he who saved us from our sins and saved us from our condemnation. Because if that baby doesn't come, if Christ doesn't come, and I understand Christ was not born, so to speak, that day. He didn't begin that day. That is Almighty God taking on a robe of human flesh. You hear me say this over and over and over again without ever ceasing to be God. 
conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary carries this child. She was chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen not because she was special and of herself, but she was ordained to be part of the plan of God to get this God, Emmanuel, with us. Now that's something to celebrate today. I understand many today and this week, it won't be about that. And again, that's for a different day and that's for a different hour. I would encourage you and spend the time with your families, encourage one another and enjoy that because I'm going to tell you something. This is just a side note. You will not always have your family. You will not always have them. We have loved ones who have already gone on. Cherish the time and use it for that purpose. But also don't lose sight of the fact that we wouldn't have the glories of our families, we wouldn't have the glorious of the things that we have had Jesus Christ not come into this world. Born to die. Born that he might die and remove from his own condemnation. As we read in John, the Bible tells us why man is condemned. The Bible tells us very clear what condemnation is all about. And remember, John made it very clear that he said that God sent his son, sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. But the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. This morning, folks, if you believe on the name of Christ, you have repented of your sins and you believed on him, you are one who is not condemned. However, he goes on to say, he that believeth not is condemned already. Here's what we forget. We're all born condemned. We are all born in that state. Even that birth of that child to, uh, to new parents, it's hard for us to think about. It. It's hard for us to imagine and say, how can this sweet child be filled with sin? And yet he or she is. And none of us think and look and say, okay, how can that baby be condemned? He or she's done nothing. Yet the Bible says, because of the sin of Adam, we are condemned already. The glorious truth is, we come into this world condemned. Jesus Christ came into the world not to condemn, but to save. That's why he came. That's something to celebrate. Whether it's on December 25th or on July 25th, who cares? Celebrate Christ. And if the world's thinking about it today and the next few days, use it. Use it. Why? Because you have the greatest news that could ever be announced. You have the offer of a free gift. And I know all of us, I would have liked to have some free stuff the last few weeks. I'd love to have some free stuff. And I'm not trying to be cute, but I'd love to have something free. That's what salvation is. It's free. It's right out there. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John, as he wrote, said, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The only begotten Son of God. Christ's first coming was not in order to judge or to punish, but to bring salvation. So for you today to reject Christ is to bring God's judgment upon yourself. 
Sinners are already legally justified by the divine judge through faith alone. My condemnation is removed. We're going to get in this morning about what does condemnation exactly means. A lot of us would simply say it just means that if I'm condemned, I go to hell. If I'm not condemned, I go to heaven. Well, there's more to it than that. But that's the basis of why Paul uses this. Paul is thinking about these truths. And he says, who is he, back in our text, that condemneth? Again, mark that question. Now, again, this question only makes sense if we consider it with what the verses had preceded it. Now, this morning, let's just consider verse 33 in order to more understand verse 34. Remember what verse 33, we ended off with this verse in Romans 8. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Condemnation doesn't stand as something on its own. Condemnation is the result or would be the result of verse 33 failing. That's a little bit deep this morning, so you're going to have to think. Verse 34 is true because verse 33 doesn't fail. For the child of God, verse 33 does not fail, which makes verse 34 true. You take verse 33 out of the equation or you change verse 33 and said, something can be laid to the charge of God's elect, then you've got a problem with condemnation still being there. We've got to tr quit treating God as if possibilities and treating God who is a God of promise and a God, if he declares it, it is so. It isn't to be trifled with and say, no, I don't know if I agree with that. He's asking rhetorical questions, asking who could lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, the, the answer we looked at last week is no one because it's God that justifieth. So we saw that the power is within God to do these things. It's God's verdict that's final. What I think about anything this morning, folks, about any subject, about any topic, does not matter. If it goes against God, it's wrong. When God gives a verdict, it's, it's not only, I don't have to worry, did he make the right ruling? Because he's always right. Heaven, heaven forbid you ever find yourself in this situation. If you're standing in a courtroom and you've been accused of a crime and you get falsely accused and falsely indicted and falsely convicted and end up in a prison cell for something you didn't do because the verdict was wrong, which by the way has happened. I mean, it's scary, but it's happened millions of times. God's verdict, if he says this is so, it cannot be changed. There is no court of appeals. If God says God cannot allow anything to be laid to the charge of his children, then I believe that. That means if I stand today and I say, I'm standing justified and redeemed, it's not I hope I end up making it. It is I am so confident. It's as if I'm already seated with Christ in heaven. I'm not struggling today, and I'm not meaning this with any sort of pride. I am not struggling at all with my assurance of salvation today. You know when I really struggled? when I believed that salvation was of me. When you start believing the settled word of God, 
You will not struggle with your salvation any longer because you'll read the scripture and you'll say, I believe that. And he says right there, if I believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I am not condemned. If I'm not condemned, that means I'm justified. If I'm justified, that means nothing can be laid to the charge of me that isn't already covered through Jesus Christ. My assurance today is not in what I prayed and not what denomination I am or what Bible I read. My assurity and assurance is in Jesus Christ because I believe his word. It's as simple as that. Take man out of the equation and you will find God's word will open up in a way you've never seen it before. Try to put yourself on every page and try to squeeze yourself into the text and say, well, God wants me to do this. God is not telling you to do anything but to repent and believe the gospel. So can God lay anything to our charge after being justified? No. If we can't be accused after being justified, then we can't be condemned. Here's the problem. If we could be condemned after being justified, God's a liar. Justified means to be declared without or without sin. So if I get condemned after I've been justified, I have just now unwound the entire message of the Bible. So if I'm justified today, then I know I have this promise. I'm not condemned. So to me, Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of which I was one. I'm still a sinner by nature. I still commit sin. But in the eyes of God, I am a redeemed, justified saint. Not by my works, but by the declaration of God. Because everybody here knows I'm not a saint according to the man's standards. And I'm okay with that. But according to God's standards, I am completely without condemnation. So there's only one who can condemn. That's God. The ultimate judge is Christ. Christ will be the final judge. If he's the only one that condemn, he's the only judge. That judge, he has a name. His name is Jesus. When we read in Luke chapter number 2, and it talked about the name Jesus. That name was given for a very specific purpose. And by the way, in our day and age, we don't run into many people with that name, but it was not an uncommon name. Some countries, the name Jesus or Jesus, however you want to pronounce it, different names, it's a very common name. But this baby was different. This child was different. This child was miraculous. The miracle was not that Mary carried him. The miracle is that he came at all. I mean, you can get caught up in it. Boy, it's a miracle. And it is. The virgin birth matters, folks. It matters more than you will ever know. And if you doubt the virgin birth, I doubt your salvation today. Again, I'm not the ultimate judge for that. That's between you and God. But you cannot deny the virgin birth and say, I believe in the Savior of the world. You just can't do it. You can't make them come together. So if there's only one who can condemn, there's only one that can give life. So Paul puts it in the form of a question. Shall this God, this Christ, who predestined us, who foreknew us, who called us, who justified us and glorified us, at the end of it all, condemn us? That would be the epitome of foolishness. If he did all those things, 
He's not going to come short and ultimately say, I did all those things, but now I'm condemning you. That would make God a liar. So it's impossible. So who is he that condemneth? We could stop that question and say, who is he? This is Christ. Who could condemn God's people? Who out there could condemn them? Because here's the truth. Every one of us this morning, even though we're redeemed, even though we are without condemnation, we still deserve to be condemned. You still deserve it. Don't ever get the idea that says, because I'm not without, condemn- well, I'm without condemnation, I got what I deserved. If you got what you deserved, Jesus Christ would have never come to this earth, never took on a robe of human flesh, and you would be dead in your trespasses and sins without hope today. And your only joy this season would be the holiday. You wouldn't have any joy in Christ. And by the way, both can be enjoyed, but without Christ, none, nothing matters. Nothing matters. We're condemned in Adam. Now, we don't fully understand all the inner workings and the mysteries of God. I watched a couple people last night on social media debate issues and thought you're missing the point. They were issuing about who gets to go to heaven, who gets to go to hell, who does it, why does this happen? And I thought, you're just wasting your time. Because the Bible is so clear. And I'm giving that invitation this morning. If you believe on the Son of God, repent and believe on Christ, believe the gospel. By the authority of the word of God, you shall be saved. Man wants to get into all the inner workings of how God works this out. How do we see that there are some that are condemned from the beginning? How do we get around Judas's? How do we get around Pharaoh's? How do we get around it? Stop trying to get around all the mysteries of God you will never figure out and simply trust Christ. You need to be concerned about your eternal soul today, not where Pharaoh and not where Judas is. You could know the destiny and why Pharaoh is not in heaven and why Judas isn't in heaven, and yet you could end up in hell yourself because you never believe personally. The reality is, as we get into these ideas of who and why and what, but here's the promise. Paul does say those that are God's elect or those who belong to God will never be condemned. To never be condemned means that there is a, I am loved with an everlasting love. There are facts about my salvation this morning. I am loved with an everlasting love. I was chosen unto salvation. I am in Christ. And if I'm in Christ, there is no condemnation. I was brought to believe by him and I am justified through him. By him all things consist by Christ. All things consist. I'm justified in Christ alone. I am secure from being condemned. Now we're just as deserving as anyone. You want to go back to the example? You deserve exactly what Judas got and you deserve exactly what Pharaoh got. Don't, don't mistake, don't, don't build yourself up that greatly. Do I fully understand it all? No, I don't. Will I ever fully understand it? No. I could could dedicate the rest of my life here on this planet to figuring out why did God do what he did with those two men? 
Because it seems to me that those two men were condemned and had no chance. I don't fully understand that. I'll be the first one to I don't understand it all. And I'm afraid of a man, hear me, I'm afraid of a man who says he does. He scares me. You mean to tell me you can put those thoughts together and give a reason why? Not exactly. But I do know that God's word says it. Can I, can I understand, Jacob, have I loved, Esau, have I hated? It's hard to get around. But what do I know about me today? What should you know about yourself? We are all under the sentence of death. But when we're convinced of our sin, we're convinced of our depravity, our own lack of righteousness, and that we deserve judgment, we are brought to the conclusion, do we love darkness more than light? People say it all the time. How does God send people to hell? Man sends himself to hell. It's as clear as day. Man does it. Why? Because he loves darkness. That's the condemnation. That's why people today have tried to water down a gospel that seems more easy to apprehend. Let me appeal to the human emotions. Be very afraid of your human emotions as your only source of truth. Your feelings will lead you astray more in your life than anything else will. I've made the worst decisions in my life based upon my feelings. My feelings are awful some days. My feelings are like, wow, you really call yourself a believer? You actually feel that way? Yeah, I do. But my security is not found in my feelings. It's not found in my emotions. I am up and down like the stock market with my emotions and feelings. There are days I am on such a spiritual high and I'm like, I'm untouchable. And there are other days say, wow, what a wretch. But really, every day I ought to think, I really am a wretch. I really am, but I'm not going to uh, waddle down in my pity for myself because I'm not condemned now. I'm in Christ. I have something to be joyous and to rejoice in, even when my feelings fail me. Paul's not talking about relying on your feelings. He's relying on a verdict. He said, this is what God said. And when God says it, it's final. We're deserving of it, but yet, are there people that will condemn us? Sure. I've had people who've told me in as much as, you know what, you're worthless. I've had people walk out of churches and say, you know what, <laughs> I can't stand you. Look, I can't stand myself some days either. I'm not doing this for me. I, I, I am not doing this for me. And all I read is that those that are in Christ and stand for Christ, it tells me something. Expect the world to hate you. If you're living to have this world receive you with open arms, you're living for the wrong reasons. This world will turn on you so quick and they'll condemn you and tell you how wrong and how vile and wicked and, back to, and, and, and just uncaring and uncompassionate you are. Throw all the condemnation at me you want. Christ says, I'm not condemned spiritually and eternally and that's what matters. I've lost more friends than I have. 
And that's because of Christ. That's because of stance. That's because of saying, listen, we're going to live for God. We're going to live differently. It doesn't feel so good. It doesn't feel so good to stand alone. But to know you're not condemned. To know, as, as Paul says here, yes, there's going to be condemnation. But whose condemnation, and this is my language, can stick? No one's. I'm not trying to be crude this morning, but even if someone tells me, and pardon me, tells me to go to hell, they can't do that. They can't do that. They cannot condemn me because Christ says in me there is no condemnation. The world condemned Jesus Christ. A sham court condemned Christ to die. But he went willingly. He came to this earth willingly. Went to the cross willingly. Gave up his life willingly. So today, we are in Christ. We're not condemned because of Christ. Sometimes your own heart will condemn you. Sometimes your own heart will say, you are not worthy to be saved. There's an example where you agree with yourself. You're right. I'm not. The danger part is when you come standing in front of a mirror and you start telling yourself, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I deserve this. I deserve... Listen, it's not about what you tell yourself. It's what does God's word say? What does God say? Our greatest enemy, hear me, your greatest enemy is yourself. You're the most dangerous person in the room. And a lot of it is because we don't believe God's word above our feelings and our emotions and our opinions and what people think about us. Look, everybody in this room wants to be liked. I guarantee it. Every one of you want people to like you. You want to be received. But the reality is, as you live for Christ, the longer you live for Christ, you're going to find that there is going to be a separation from you. But at the same time, what should be happening is there should be and embrace a fellowship with other believers who are in Christ and your friendship circles and who you are in Christ begins to get stronger and better. And now you're spending time with people who are encouraging your walk. And when you have those feelings of, I, think I'm, I don't think I'm saved, that friend says to you, listen, what's the word of God say? Not, oh, let's talk about your feelings. It's one of the most dangerous things that ever happened. People get mad at us because we won't feel sorry with you. Listen, it's not that we're not feeling your pain, but the last thing you need is for us to get down in the pity party. We need to show you here's who God is. Trust God in this. As none can accuse the elect of God or his children, they can't condemn them. That's why we read all the way back in the first verse of this chapter Verse 1 of Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Would God, again, who did not spare His own Son, poured out His, the Father poured out His full wrath on Christ, would He do all that only to condemn you? The answer is no. Nobody can condemn them but the judge. 
the ultimate judge is Christ. If he's unable to condemn us, then nobody can. Now, this is not arrogant in any way, but do you know at this point, while you're in Christ, if you are in Christ and you're one of his, even Christ himself cannot condemn you at this point. You say, aren't you saying something God can't do? He can't do that because that would violate who he is. If he promises this to be the case, he's not going to go back on that. So who is it that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. People today are debating, did Christ really die? The answer to that is, is yes. His death was certain. His death was needful. The death he died was the death of the cross. The persons he died for was the elect of God. The reason that he died was to make atonement for their sins. He was the substitutionary payment. He took our place. He stood where we deserve to be. His death was not a good for this moment, good for this hour, good for this second. It was of eternal effectiveness. Which ultimately is what's going to matter. People today say, make the best of your hundred years if you get it here. I would tell you to an extent, enjoy your life, but be sure that your eternal life is what matters much more than how many years you get on this earth. We could celebrate the man, the world's oldest man or oldest woman. I don't know what the recent record was, 117 or something. You could celebrate that. That person it was given that award died. They were celebrated for living. I don't know about their eternal condition, but I do know this. Christ's sacrifice on the cross was not just for this hundred years. It was for all of eternity. How long is eternity? I have no idea. I've not lived it yet. Can you compare it to something? No, I can't. Men have tried, and you still would fall short of it. You cannot describe eternity, but yet it's just as real as sitting here today, one with another. Christ died. It was an eternal effectiveness, and that is where full security comes from. My full security from, no, from condemnation is in the sufficient payment of Christ. He actually bore the condemnation himself. He bore the wrath of God. God's full justice, God's full wrath were satisfied by him. That's why Isaiah 53, and again, you think you understand this fully, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Now again, you've got to think beyond human comprehension. But I can't think of any purpose in the world to bruise my own child. And you're a sick, sick human individual if you believe that it's okay to bruise your child. But in the eternal payment of God, it pleased the Father to, bru to bruise the Son. The bruising of the Son was the payment and the full wrath of God. It was poured out for you and for me. God's justice and wrath were satisfied. The pardon of sin was secured by Christ's blood. Full justification from our sin is obtained by Christ's obedience. Christ's obedience secured my full justification. You know what the resurrection did? You say, That's, isn't that for the spring? <laughs> no. That's why we talk about the birth of Christ and the resurrection here nearly every service. You know what the resurrection did? It confirmed all this to be true. 
People say today, I believe everything about Christ except the resurrection. <laughs> you don't believe you're not saved. Because if he's still in that tomb, then everything else was a sham. Everything else was faulty. Everything else was phony. Everything else has no merit to it. Even your resurrection now is now completely without. So that means you're going to go in the ground and you're dead and you're separated. You're gone. It's over. But I have a promise of a resurrection because there was a birth and a death and a resurrection and an ascension. Now I have hope today. I have real hope today that the world doesn't have. There are people all over this country that in two days are going to say, whatever's here, whatever gift I get, this is, why, this is my full satisfaction for the year. I'm going to tell you something. In two months, it won't be enough. It won't be enough if that's all you have. But I will tell you this, that when we know what we are in Christ, and we know that only Christ can judge, only Christ can condemn, Christ's death has freed us from condemnation. Look what he says, yea, rather, that is risen again. As the death, so the resurrection of Christ is the security of God's people from condemnation. Christ rose again. What did it prove? He was a conqueror over death. He was a conqueror over sin. He took away the sting of death. It proved once and for all, although those in Christ know it, he is victorious over Satan even today, folks. Stop treating God as if he still has the devil to contend with. It's still a, it is a defeated foe, the devil is. If it's not your own self that will condemn you, it's the devil and his demons that will try to condemn you. And sadly, many of us as, as believers believe it way too often. I've watched believers sit in a desk across in counseling sessions with me, and I can tell they believe the devil and their feelings more than they believe the Word of God. I've taken a Bible, spun it around, and said, read that. And they'll say, yeah, but this. And in the only way I can do it, and I get mistaken and misunderstood about my tone, I understand it, I look and I say, what in the world are you talking about? It's right here. Yeah, but what about this? This declares it to be the case. Trust what God has told you. The devil is a defeated foe. Christ stood charged with our sin. For you to believe the lies of the devil is to really reject what Christ has already done. Christ was sent by the Father. He went with His own consent he was condemned and suffered death for his children, yet he rose from the grave. It told us a couple things about who Jesus was. He was justified and acquitted from any guilt that was put upon him. By the way, he didn't become a sinner. He simply took our sin on him. All of his people at that moment were justified in him and with him. One of the greatest, the greatest security you have today as a believer is that resurrection. I saw a, a friend of mine posted a quote this morning. He said that exact thing, and I like what he said. He said, listen, don't focus all on the birth of Christ today. Don't forget about the resurrection. And that's good. Because what the world's going to do, they're going to they're understand a little bit about Jesus. They're going to go through neighborhoods, and they're going to go through 
lighting things and they're going to see a nativity scene and they're going to see this and they're going to identify something. They're, they're, they're going to say, I, I identify with that. You know, it's an amazing, no matter what denomination you come from, people identify with that nativity scene. What's really amazing, number one, is how often the nativity scenes are wrong. That's for another day. But, but what they really think about the baby is really where it all comes down to. And that's where the point comes in. Here's that child that was born to die. They, they even say, you ask, ask any denomination, who's the baby? They'll say, Jesus. Almost to a person. It's, it's world known. Yet they have no idea what that's about. Now, if you were to take that, Okay, whatever your feelings are, you were to take that and say, okay, let me tell you a little bit about, even if the nativity scene is wrong. Oh, I can't work with that. It's just wrong. Seriously? Take the opportunity to tell them then. Let me tell you about the baby. Now let's get into a theological argument about the who was there, who shouldn't be there, what really happened, how this was two years later, and this, or we can just say, let me tell you about the baby. And let me tell you about what the story is behind him. Let me tell you why he came. Let me tell you what his purposes are. If they get the nativity scene right or wrong, who cares? Point them to Christ. Use every opportunity. Christ's death, apart from that birth, would be meaningless. If I drive through a nativity scene and all I see is a baby born in a manger and I never realize that that baby came and actually died some 33 years later and what his death brought realizing that that innocent what appeared to be to man just an innocent baby we realized jesus was innocent but yet he was arrested condemned and crucified for something he never did you know if that happens today to a human being a regular everyday joe the world screams out in outrage and says how in the world could you do that to an innocent man what about christ I don't hear the world screaming out saying Jesus was crucified and it was a sham. No, I hear people say things like this. Yeah, he deserved it. That God is not a God of love. He's a God of hate. You read your Bible, he's anything but a God of hate. Christ dying showing he accepted all of the man's verdicts against him but he was doing it for a much better a much bigger reason where is he paul says at the right hand of god the ascension of christ his entrance into heaven his position at the right hand of god that's also a source of security when you read that in the bible that he ascended back to the right hand of god the father that's a sense of security against your condemnation when christ ascended from earth back to heaven the Bible refers to he led captivity captive. He triumphed over all those. He led his people over sin, Satan, the law, death over every enemy. He entered into heaven to appear in the presence of the Father for them. What does it mean for him to intercede? This is misunderstood. and just bear, I know we're going a little long, but just bear with me for just a minute. Is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father arguing a point? or for your entrance in heaven, as if you would argue it in a courtroom? The answer is no. What's it mean to intercede? 
We, we completely miss this. Oftentimes we think intercession means that Jesus Christ the Son is having a conversation with the Father and they're, they're just chatting. Okay, now this is, where our, this is where our minds go. Okay, I'm just telling you, humanly speaking, you'd be amazed what people believe. There are people that actually believe, they say, I believe in the Trinity, and they believe this, that the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and God the Son are sitting all on three thrones in heaven, and they're having coffee together, and they're discussing life's affairs. People believe this. I am not kidding you. And that they're just chatting about things that are going on. And that when a name comes up, let's use my name, Jeremy there, now let's discuss him. And Jesus is interceding for me. Again, I'm telling you what, it's not true, okay? Jesus is saying, okay, God the Father, I think you should let Jesus in because of this. I think he deserves entrance. Yes, I realize he's not a very good guy. He does a lot of bad things. He says things he shouldn't say. He doesn't always live perfectly. But you should still let him in. The conversation is not happening. Do you know what the intercession is? The very presence of Jesus Christ is the intercession. And that if you are in Christ, it is as if you're standing right there. There is no more arguing for your point. So even when you do wrong, it isn't Jesus saying, oh, please, Father, please. I know you saw that. Please don't, don't condemn them now. I'm telling you, we've got some heretical doctrines out there that would make your hair stand on end. Think, what in the world? Does somebody actually believe that? Because that's what they've been taught. They have been bullied into a corner that says, listen, you better make sure you do everything right. Better make sure you live right because you're, you're losing points with God. If I can lose a single point with God at this point after no longer facing condemnation, then I'm not serving a very grand God. And if he's relying on me and anything that I do, I don't want that God either. But I will humbly and by the grace of God and the mercy of God receive a God who says, Jesus paid it all. He didn't just make salvation possible. He is salvation. Quit preaching this Jesus that may make salvation possible. He is salvation. He is salvation. The intercession of Christ is based on the satisfied, righteous holiness of a righteous God. It continues forever. Your acceptance with God today will be the same 10 million years from now. And so you're talking in terms I can't understand. It's real. I don't know what 10 million years like will be like in glory with him. I don't know. I've, I've had lots of humorous thoughts about being 10 million more years older, and I realize that's not the case. But think about it. What's true today is going to be true for all of eternity. I don't have to go get a new Bible or a new doctrine. It's already been given to us. And my security is not in something new. It's in what God's already said. Faith finds triumph faith in christ finds joy not just from his birth but from his death and his resurrection and from his ascension there at the right hand of the father paul confidently says it is god that justifies who is even at the right hand of god who also maketh intercession 
for us. Christ finished the work of redemption. He continues the applying of redemption by intercession of his position in his presence until everyone in whom, for whom he died receives him. You say, when is this all coming to an end? Let me tell you, as soon as the last one is brought to Christ. You say, that, sound, that sounds like something I don't like. That's truth. You know, people often say, well, I'm, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like the thought that Jesus has a number of people that he's bringing to himself and then that's it. But at the same token, they pray this way. Okay, are you ready? This, is, this kind of alarmed me the first time I used to pray this way and then I thought this thought. People pray, say all the time, even so, even so, Lord, come now. They're praying for the rapture. Let's use that. What happens to all those people that got left behind? Every single one of those people have no hope now. So here's your two options. You can say, I, I think it's just, brother, I think it's just better to pray for the Lord's return and pray for the rapture. I just can't get on, I can get on board with that, but I can't get on board with, there's only a certain number that are going to come to Christ. So what happens to everybody else? What, what brings you more comfort in knowing that he will not come? He will not come until the last one has been brought unto himself. I find comfort in that. But I also believe in his imminent return. I believe with everything in me, there is absolutely positively nothing keeping Jesus Christ from coming back today. You say, what about all the calendars? What about all the timing? What about all the predictions? Paul told the people to be looking for him. Look for him. Every day we get up, we look for him. Believer, as Christ has already made intercession for you, he will never condemn you. If you can say today that Christ shed his blood for me, then he is not going to cast you into hell. If you can say this morning, Jesus Christ rose from the dead for me, he's not going to leave you among the dead and condemned. Fully trust in the Christ that has been declared. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We use that verse so often it becomes cliched, but think about what that means. How about a God who's the same today as he was yesterday? How about a God who's the same today that he will be tomorrow? I don't ever have to wake up one day and say, I think God changed his mind on this whole redemption thing. But here's the thing. There are people who are seated in churches this morning, I don't know any of them personally, who are sitting under a man who gets up and says, I have a new revelation from God, and this is not in the Bible, and I want to share that with you this morning. And people will fall away and say, I'm following that guy. He didn't get a new revelation from God. Why? Because it's all right here. Everything I need to know about God is right here. This is what he left us. The promises of his word. If a man says, follow me, and he doesn't follow Christ, don't follow him. If I ever stand up before you and I say those words, follow me, and I stop following Christ, don't follow me. This is not about blind loyalty. This is about faithfully following Christ because he's the only judge. I could stand before you five years from now and say, you know what, I failed. I failed. Jesus never fails. 
If every church in this country closes, and I hope it never happens, but if every church in this country closes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his promises are just as true. If one day we get run out of this building and we're sitting in somebody, one of your home or our home, and we're having church at home now, he's still the same. Preacher, it sure looks like the world's winning. The world's not winning. The world's not winning. Jesus Christ has always been victorious. He is still in control. He's a sovereign God. Who can condemn the elect of God? No one. Be, be secure and safe in who Christ is. Let's stand all around if you would.